Welcome to CPP Chat, a postmodern look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. But before we see how regular this week's guest is, John has a disclaimer to read. Thank you, Phil. The CPP Chat medical advisory team has developed or collected these protocols from practitioners and supplier partners to help healthcare practitioners make decisions when building treatment plans. By adding this protocol to your full script template library, you understand and accept that the recommendations in the protocol are for initial guidance and may not be appropriate for every patient. So with that understanding, I'd like to welcome Tony, Tony Van Aerd, to, um, uh, to the show. Hi, Tony. Is this your first time on CPP Chat? Yeah, yeah, it is. All right. I mean, what took you so long? Yeah, well, you know, um, no, thank you. I, I assume you've been on CPP Cast, right? Um, yeah. I think everybody thinks we just we just look at them to see who to invite on. That's not true at all. We make a list and then notice that they get to them first. It's not like we're copying. I swear we aren't. <laughs> they have spies, I guess. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. They're looking at our list. Those guys. Uh, of course, they're doing it every week, so they get to people faster. Anyway, um, so it's it's great to have you on. Uh, have you been busy during this lockdown? I assume you've not been going to conferences. Yeah, I haven't been going to conferences. Haven't haven't been going anywhere. Um, it means I'm writing more code than I usually write. Because yeah. I mean, for a while it was uh, until people at work realized that they can still get in touch with me and ask me <laughs> questions. And, you know, but but that, I mean that is part of my job. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I find that uh, I've got I'm writing more code now than I than I typically do. Because, you know, half my job is not writing code. It's just reviewing code more than anything. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I've, done it. I've talked to mostly programmers, right, because that's my circle. Um, a lot of programmers are like, well, I'm an introvert anyhow. So they're all, they're all kind of, uh, you know, obviously it's a lot harder for a lot of other people. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still working. I, you know, I still have a, a paycheck and everything. So that that makes it easy for me so yeah 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 i wish i wish i was getting money <laughs> so there you go yeah when you're independent that's when you're independent it's it's a whole different ball of wax um but actually yeah i was on a i was on a call recently with with someone who was who was talking about people at their work who are senior senior people who are saying i am just so much more productive now and it's like you know because i'm not getting asked questions it was like you realize the people who aren't asking you questions are now less productive, right? Yeah. Because as, as you just said, it's part of your job to coach. That's yeah. part of what we do as senior engineers is we help those who are um, coming along. There's a lot of, a lot of things you don't get um, in formal training. A lot of, you know, a lot of specific technical advice you can give, but also some kinds of coaching about this is how we do things. I also, I also think uh, I, I get this feeling I'm probably working more hours than ever because okay. because the hours are kind of spread out, right? Like if I want to take a break or if it's like, well, I should go out, you know, it's, it's nice outside now. I should go outside now and I'll work later yeah. or I will, you know, anything, anything's going on, right? My kids need something, something. It's like, okay, well, I, it's all, it's very flexible now. But then right. I realize, okay, it's now 10, 11 at night and I'm still coding. It's like, right. I probably made up for that hour in the middle of the day why am i still sitting here but as a programmer that's what you do right you're just like oh i'm i just want to fix this one problem just just fix this one more line of code and then it's two in the morning so i 
I totally know. I, you know, when I get in really involved in a, in a problem, yeah, I can go for hours without even thinking about what the time is. It's just like, you know, what's the next step? Yeah. It's, it's just, uh, one of the, it's what we do is we solve problems and those problems are sometimes interesting. Um, and sometimes even if the problem itself is not interesting, the solution is interesting. Still get wrapped up in figuring out. So, um, so what are we going to talk about today? Um, I added uh, a link to Tony tables in the show notes. Um, this is your GitHub for CPP20 and Tony tables. You want to tell us what the heck Tony tables are? Uh, yeah, the, the, you know, it's surprisingly controversial name. I didn't name them. Um, it all started actually with a, um, someone did a proposal for, I'm, I'm on the C++ committee. Uh, someone had a proposal in, in library work, uh, evolution working group and proposals are all written in a certain, like we have a template, you know, mm -hmm. not a C++ template, a, a document template of how we suggest you write a proposal. And everyone follows the template, and the template's bad. At least, at least I think the template's bad. Uh, and it's got, it has like, oh, here's the motivation section, and, and here's a section to say, well, what are you changing, and all this. And, but it always ends up, I read the whole thing, and I'm like, okay, I, I kind of lost the point, and I still don't know what this, and, and it got too technical too fast or something. And finally, I just started saying, and I helped someone with the paper. I just said, I, all I gave them was a table showing, here's what, here's how you would have to write this code in whatever it was, C++14 or something. Here's, what, here's how you had to write it in, in C++14, and with your, your new feature, you would write it this way in C++17. And I put them side by side. And it's just, it's before after table. And, yeah. um, and obviously, I'm not the first person to ever do a before and after table, but I really pushed it. Yeah. As the thing is, that shows what you're trying to say. Um, it shows the motivation, because hopefully the example that you show is, is a useful example. Say, oh, I see what you're trying to do. I see from the before how hard it was to do it, and now I see how it's easier. And I mean, I you know, I can get, I can now go look at the technical part of your class, but I see it in use, so I understand what your syntax is. I pretty much understand everything from from you know one page. It's the one page summary of your proposal. And if I don't, and the thing, the real thing is that pretty much every proposal we ever do is. I want I, is is about how the code will change, right? It, that's it's a language. I'm making making a change to the language so I can code differently, right? Um, so if you don't show, and and theoretically there might be a proposal that says let's change this so that implementations can be faster. Yeah, yeah. But that's not the that's not what most of them are about. Yeah. Most of them are in fact about yeah how, how it's gonna, how the code's code. going to be different. Yeah, how it's how the code's going to be different. Yeah, with this feature, how you can make it clearer or. So, so just show it and show me what the code, what the new code looks like. I know it, it took me a while, you know, as a, as a beginning programmer, I, when I wanted to document something, I tended to shy away from doing specific examples because an example is inherently, that's just one case. I want yeah. the general case. I want to write a template in my documentation. I want to explain to you the entirety of what the problem is. Humans don't learn that way. Yeah. Humans learn by looking at examples. And so you need them both. You need to be able to specify what is the limit, because if somebody's writing a compiler or a library, they need to know what the edge case is. They need to know what they have to support. But humans learn faster with those examples. Give me, give me a concrete example. 
this is how I, this is my litmus test for a developer. Uh-huh. Um, and I've talked about this to people before about how I, I don't think I interview developers the same way most people do, because I, I, I've had interviews where I don't think we talked about code at all. I don't, I, I mean, it depends what company I'm at. Certain companies have certain, certain rules for how they do their interviews. But for me, I just talk to you and I didn't realize a long time what exactly I was looking for, but one of the things definitely is you can go from specific example to general and back to specific and back to general. And it's like, okay, you, you think like a programmer, right? And I, I, the, the one that got me the most was on one of these trips to a conference or something, I'm in a taxi and I'm talking to the taxi driver and we're talking about the weather and clouds and stuff like that. He got really like he knows clouds. This guy knew what he was talking about, and then he went very general on, on like, at, and he just spoke at every level. And my whole vibe for this, you know, it was just from the airport to the hotel or whatever it was, maybe a twenty minute taxi ride. My whole vibe was, you are a programmer. Your brain works like a programmer does. And if you, you know, I didn't. I always feel I should have said something to him. It's like. Maybe you like being a taxi driver. Maybe you don't. If you don't, you know, become a programmer because he was he was definitely a programmer mindset. Right. And uh, and and you know, not all programmers think the same way. And it wouldn't be good if we all did think the same way. But uh, that was something where it's just you know, I find a good programmer needs to be able to. I mean, you need to be able to be very syntactically very picky and very specific, and then you need to be very general and abstract. Otherwise, your code's not going to, you know, your code will. It's, it's fine if you have someone who just likes to write very specific code. You put them in a corner and let them write specific code. But um, when you need something that's architectural and more abstract, then you need someone who thinks that way, right? Right, right, right. And people can think both ways. The, the ability to, to scale up and down in that sense, but also to scale in terms of, you know, yeah, I sometimes talk to people, uh, we try to avoid politics here, but but sometimes talk to people about something and they say, well, there ought to be this. And I say, yeah, but well, how would that scale? Yeah. It's like, if that was really the law and everybody was behaving that way, how would that scale? And it's like, oh, well, that would solve this problem. Yeah, it would solve this problem, but it doesn't scale. And that's another thing programmers think about is how does that scale? Yeah, you can do that when you only have a few items, but what happens when you have, you know, how does it scale? Um, and in fact, I don't know, did you see um, Dave Abraham's um, article on on a, how to design a good library? Did you see that? Oh, I don't know. Let's... Maybe we should put that in the show notes. It's, it's um, it, it, what it's really focused on is thinking about how the user's code is going to look. It, it, right. it doesn't talk about anything else. And in fact... You know, he's actually, I think, probably thinking in terms of Swift when he's writing this. But the fact is, sure, um, uh, it it certainly applies to C plus plus programmers. But he's really focusing on saying one of the things he's saying is you really need to understand the domain because you need to understand, um, you know. And I think we we had on. Oh, I shouldn't have mentioned this because I'm not going to remember his name. But we we had somebody on who was talking about color. And remember, we were talking about how. Yeah, James, James, James Barrow. Yes, yes, yes. Just a few episodes back. That's how bad my memory is, right? <laughs> he, he, went, he went, went to the committee for the first time. Right. But he was pointing out how badly most color libraries um, don't implement color because they don't really understand the domain. Um, anyway, 
that's the first thing Dave says. You really have to talk to people who who are going to write this code. You know, imagine, you know, you're you're writing mapping code and you don't talk to people who have actually done mapping and, and know something about mapping, or you're in in your case working at Christie, you're talking about people uh, who understand color, who understand projections, and understand how light works, and you're just writing code thinking, well, it's just a formula, right? And so it doesn't really matter. So part of it is you really have to understand the domain. But the other thing is you have to think about what does the code look like when someone calls this library? Um, it may be convenient to write, but that's not enough. You need to make it so that when someone reads it, it's clear what they're reading. Yeah. And so if you have this function and it has uh, two parameters that are true and one parameter that's false. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, the, and C, C++ gets knocked on this sometimes where someone looks at the library you wrote and they're like, that's way too complicated. And you've got all these templates and you've got these enable ifs and you've got all this stuff in there. Right. And they're like, this is, this is gobbledygook and, and your, your library is terrible. And it's like, well, no, I did all this work on the library side right. so that the code you call is easier. The code you write is easier to read. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, if you call it, you know, it's that, the you know, the pit of success, um, idea of it's hard to call this incorrectly if you if it compiles it was probably right and that takes a lot of extra effort on the library side and sometimes i do it and sometimes i think yeah i went overboard and i, I maybe went too far and i should just trust my fellow programmers to, to not make mistakes but uh a good library sometimes looks ugly on the inside looks beautiful on the outside well you know i think about the uh, the language uh, overloading rules i mean can you imagine anything more complicated than that but the reason they're so complicated is so that it does what you want slash expect most of the time. You can, I mean, you can trip over them, but for the most part, um, the overloading rules do the right thing. And that's why they're so complicated. So the callers, so it's better for the callers. No one understands the overloading rules. That's, that's, that's a big problem. I'm sure Richard does. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's the asterisk on. I always say that the concept of C plus plus expert. I always say there's no C plus plus expert expert. Oh, except Richard. Yeah, right. We just leave him out of the conversation. We'd use that as a show title, but I think we've already done it. <laughs> Probably have you. <laughs> All right. So, um, what are the things we want to talk about? Uh, are you, uh, are you planning to give a talk at, uh, CVPCon? Well, that's, that's what, uh, you know, I was kind of asking about that, asking, you know, poking, poking you about CVPCon. Um, I have this, this, uh, prediction that I will not be going into the States anytime soon. Yeah. Um, you know, not to get too political, but your country's on fire. <laughs> uh, and w which, you know. It's terrible, and it's hard to it's hard to think about, you know, coding at times yeah. like this. Yeah. Um, uh, and but just in COVID alone would probably mean I'm not going to go to anywhere. Well, let's re-ask the question: If you were going to be at CVPCon, what would you be talking about? How about that? Yeah. Well, so no, but the other question is: is like, yeah, can can I can I do something? Can I can I send you a uh, can I send you a, um, a lightning talk? You know, can I can I Send you a video or something, you know, we'll see. Cause there's, I don't know if you saw the, um, JF, um, uh, did a, 
did a presentation Jeff where he, Jeff Bastian. Yeah, uh, he he quoted me from a talk that I gave at CPP CPP Con twenty. Right, he's quoting me in the future, saying that I will be quoting him <laughs> in my talk. And so it's like since then I've ha- I've been planning a talk <laughs> to make sure that I can put the quote in there and that it'll all work out. And is the quote's about um. The quote is about, uh, uh, you know, the people who forget the past are, are, are going to repeat it. And, and he's quoting me in the future and talking a quote about the past, and it's, it's pretty good. So, I, actually, I did have this big plan <laughs> to talk about Solid, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I want, uh, my talk title is called Solid Revisited. Mm-hmm. Um, because whenever I hear about, when I, whenever someone brings up Solid, I always think, oh, I don't like Solid. And then I look at each of the each of the letters of solid. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's good. That's a, that's a really good uh, principle. And then it's like, well, why don't I like the whole thing put together? Yeah. And and it's mostly because it just, I well, if you go look back, and because now I start, I've started working on this talk. Um, if you look back at the origin, the origins of solid, um, uh, you know, it's all about change management. And and this way, and something changes, everything's going to going to have to change. If you, if you reorganize it a different way, the likelihood of change will be isolated, right? Um, and it just, it's somewhat because of, it's somewhat built into the solid principles, but somewhat also just how people have applied them. It's too object-oriented. Um, and there's there's good times to use object-oriented, but uh, it becomes a crutch of solid and plus object-oriented gets way overused. So yeah, I would like to do a talk on like, well, it's called Solid Revisited, and it's like, how do you do value-oriented programming, and how do you still do solid, and what's what's the what are the re- real key principles? Um, so something like solid for value semantics. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, of course, I keep thinking oh, I need to make up a different acronym, right? So I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> I've got one other acronym, which is you know, we all know. Uh, kiss but it's it's kind of a derogatory acronym really keep 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 it simple stupid which you know it's kind of putting people down um i have uh kyss uh, keep your stuff separate that that is the only and and if you look at where solid came from it's how do you keep your code separate from the rest of your code that's that is the only um i think that's it that's that's all there is to programming keep your stuff separate and then it's like the details of well how do you do that yeah it's like well there's 27,000 ways of doing it and just got to pick the right one. You know, when I was, uh, uh, did uh, freelance coding, I'd drop in on projects. The, the feature of a code base that I would like more than anything else, more than being well-documented, who doesn't love well-documented, is modular. Yeah. Because if it's modular, I can throw parts away. I can completely rewrite parts. They need to be rewritten. But you know, when you land in a code base that is just a, you know, a spaghetti mess where you, anything you change, you're potentially breaking something and you have no idea, um, that's, that's the nightmare. But if it's modular, even if it's not well-documented, even if it's not clean code, even if it's not, you know, whatever other problems it has, you can work through those. But if it's, but if it's this conglomeration, as you say, they didn't keep it separate. Um, then the the weird part though is everybody knows that, and all code bases end up not that way, yeah, right. 
So it's like, how how does this happen? And it, and it's you know, it's that that's my mystery that that I constantly I don't have an answer. Right? I have partial answers. There's partial answers of just like pressure of time, right? But I know if I just add this one more one more if statement right here, that'll fix that bug. Yeah. Well, you know, it doesn't belong there. And right, you know, right. To write that if statement, you need to pull data from five places and and it's this big giant if statement and says, okay, that's that's the condition we're in right now. Right. Like, yeah, it should have been somewhere else. But it does fix the bug. So, you know. But you've now tightly coupled this class with some underlying thing that it shouldn't know anything about because you didn't. I mean, uh, the way I think about that is, and it's uh it's almost a play on words, but I say think logically. And what I mean by that is not think rationally. <laughs> what I mean by that is don't think about the code in terms of, oh, I need to set that member to this thing. No, no. Think about it as I need to prepare for printing. So I make the call that says prepare for printing, which might be nothing. I don't have to do anything. But it might also be that's the time I change this member to this, right? And that's what I'm trying to think. Think about it in terms of logically what's happening. And then when you do that, then you can say, no, no, this object shouldn't know anything about that. Yeah. The, the, the whole idea too of, like, I, I'm I, on top of my, uh, the Tony tables in, in my GitHub, which I did it for 17. So if anyone wants to learn 17 versus 14, um, I've got a document that has just a table, a Tony table for every major feature of C++ 17. Problem is C++ 20 is huge. Uh -huh. So I've got like three examples so far for C plus plus twenty Tony table, but I'm way behind. So maybe I've got the wrong link here because I've got the link to CPP twenty. Yeah, there's a seventeen and there's a twenty, okay. and it's all on my GitHub. But but the twenty, I mean, the link to twenty should be there to be like I accept pull requests because uh, I, I actually I think so far I, I've I've done less than the other contributors. But has this has this had an impact on the committee? Are, are papers starting to come in with Tony tables built in now? Is it becoming part of the template? Yeah. There, every now and then, someone will um, just ask, where's the Tony table? And, uh, and once again, I think it was, it wasn't me. I think it was um, David Sankel, I think, is the first person to start calling him Tony tables just to, you know, just to poke at me. Um, and uh, David would never poke at you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, and so it's, you know, you gotta be 15 minutes of fame for something. Right. So, um, but yeah, cause it's, it's, I, speaking of, of proposals, not every proposal is a change of the language. Um, the other category of proposals are a change of the committee. And I'm, I'm thinking that's all I should write is meta proposals of like, here's what a, a committee paper. I, I was going to, there's, there's talk of writing a paper on Tony tables. And of course the paper would have a Tony table showing old style papers without Tony tables. <laughs> All papers with Tony tables. Right postmodern. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, also like an inception of Tony tables. Very meta. Are you going to have, have it in, in columns? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I was looking at, I was trying to think of like, what would be a good example paper? Um, and I was thinking of proposing like go to or something, something that's already in the language. Uh -huh. Right. Uh -huh. And just like, here's how, that proposal should have looked like. If, imagine we didn't have GoTo, and I would use it because you know what else are you going to use? You, you use GoTo as as this example, and then have a, actually actually find a piece of code that looks better with a GoTo. Doesn't happen often, but you know you can find some example codes like this is kind of convoluted. Here it is with a GoTo. It's actually simpler. Yeah. 
and and just have it as here's the new template. Just just stick your stuff uh, in in a template event. But um, where was I going? Oh oh, on, the other thing on my GitHub is uh, a, a, there's a repo there called Today, which is I don't know, kind of like a blog or something. Um, whenever stuff happens at work, I try to write it down. Um, just just in general terms of what did we learn today? You know, in a code review, saw something. Hey, this is this, there's a, there's something that can be learned from this. And I'm struggling right now to write. I, I realized the other day that I had to write um, how to write a function, which is not not a critique of my my coworkers or anything that I needed to write this. Yeah, but. For in general, right? Because you said yeah. you said you said the phrase of like prepare the printer. It's like that's a function, and and so often people don't make that a function. They just stick that code right. inside the other function that's doing the rest of the printing, right? And it's like no, you you wrote a comment that said slash slash prepare the printer. Yeah. Like you know what the function name is. You, you've 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 solved the hard problem of naming it. Now just take all that code and put it in a function. Yeah. And and you know this is one of the things I'm so far behind all the things I want to do. Um, I want to write just a, a, a page on how do you write a function, and it's it's not easy, right? It's like first question is well, when do you write a function, right? And 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 then you know how do you pass parameters because there's so many different ways, and how do you? And now it's it's just recently now you know as I didn't I didn't start using C plus plus eleven the day it came out. I had to wait a couple of years for you know yeah. your code base to to move to it and everything. Um, but once you get uh, move semantics, you know, well built into your code base, and and you've got um, and kind of requires exceptions is, is the you know makes it easier for you, but suddenly your functions can take parameters and return parameters, which you'd think functions could always do that, but no, you know, in the past if you had if you wanted to return a vector, you passed in right. a reference to a vector. Now you just return a vector. Right. Just don't worry about that. You know, it's not getting copied. The move was, it's all efficient. Of course, it was probably copy lighted anyway, but yeah, yeah. But we didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. But now you know, right? And, and there's no, there's a lot less worries. And so now you can write functions that actually act like functions, like mathematical functions almost. Right. And, uh, and actually, I should bring up the, um, well, we, we had a guest on just who, who was it we had on just recently said you should grep, grep through all your code and look for step one. Hey, that's, Any, that's, that's my phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Look for step one. Well, maybe I heard that on CPPcast. Maybe it wasn't our guest. Uh, yeah, it might have been. But yeah, look, any place where you see step one, that's a that's an indication that someone should have taken that function and broken it down into smaller functions. Yeah, and uh, you know, if if you called it step, if you called that function name step one, it'd still be better than stuffing it in <laughs> in the bigger function, mm-hmm. right? Bigger giant function. Um, the one that caught me the other day is uh, Kevin Henney had a quote of. Um, uh, write the write the comments that the code cannot um, express. Right, and it's not just the code doesn't express; it's the code cannot express. Right, and I was doing a code review, and that, like I just saw that on Twitter or somewhere. So you know, tell my employer that reading Twitter is valuable to our code base. <laughs> um, so that I, I saw that, and then I was looking at our code review, and someone. Had uh, we're trying to do autofocus on a can I, can I say yeah sure <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll try to be vague uh, we're trying to do some autofocus stuff uh, and this this function uh, took a projector and it says you know uses the camera to do autofocus on the projector 
Um, and then I'm like, well, why doesn't it take a camera? Like the comment was really good because it wasn't clear that it uses a camera. But then I was like, well, wait a second. Why doesn't it take a camera as a function param? It's like, well, it doesn't because it's in a class that already already owns the camera, right? So I was like, well, wait, take this function, pass it a projector, pass it a camera. Now this function is not inside any class anywhere. And you just know that's the only things it uses. It uses a camera and a projector and it autofocuses. Great. That's, that's, and, and I told the guy, hey, I, it, it would have gone past the code review if it, I hadn't seen that Kevin anything of like, you don't need this comment to explain this. It, it would have been clear. Yeah. And now it, it went from just being a better comment to being a free function instead of a function tangled up with, a, a, with, with another class. Right. right. So yeah, now the code is more separate because of a comment right? or the lack the the recognizing that a comment wasn't necessary. Right. I was pretty happy about it. No, that's, that's, Moving, moving the design a little forward, yeah. Also, uh, uh, also, you know, for my employer, reading Twitter, uh, twice now I fix bugs in our code base uh, by tweeting, <laughs> because I've tweeted, I've tweeted to uh, Visual Studio team, and and to their credit, it was a bug that's fixed in the latest release, but I was a couple of releases behind. I said, "There's this weird bug I'm having," and and Billy or somebody tweeted back saying. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a compiler bug. Just pass this flag and it'll go away. Right? But it was I would have wasted days trying to find out what was going on. Yeah. And then another one with uh, some weird stuff going on with Nvidia stuff. So I tweeted, and Bryce and you know people were like right. tweeted back to me saying, "Here's here's what's going on." And I think that one wasn't their fault. I think that was just a you know you know we didn't understand how it was working. But it's like I I tweet and I get answers and. Uh, Saves our company time. One thing that I've learned is that um, senior engineers are way, way more likely to find compiler bugs, but they're way, way less likely to assume the compiler has a bug in it. It's, it's the junior programmers that say, wait a minute, the compiler's doing the wrong thing. This should work. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. Um, and then when you, as I said, you, you you start to begin to realize, no, no, the compiler doesn't make these mistakes. And then when you actually run into a compiler bug, it's like, what's going on? <laughs> because you just can't believe the compiler is actually making a mistake. And you sit there and you think, the last time I saw a compiler bug was four years ago. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's about time. <laughs> it's about time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, very interesting. Credit to the Visual Studio team. I used, you know... Old, old, my, you know, I've been doing Microsoft compilers for a long time. I, I worked on Win. I, I wrote apps for Windows 3.0, not only 3.1. So, uh, yeah, their compiler was uh, used to crash a lot and do bad things and had, had tons of bugs, and now it's a joy. And their, their debugging on Visual Studio has always been a joy. So they're all, it's the, between all the compiler vendors, there's so much, uh, so much more competition. Um, yeah. But also, like they all, they all work together on standard libraries and on the committee, and I don't know. It's a, it's a good time for C plus plus. Yeah, it is. I, I think there really is a a, a healthy competition. There's no, um, uh, you know, the the kind of competition that 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 we in the in the industry are definitely enjoying because everybody's trying really hard to to make their product better and do it in the right way. Um, I know particularly Microsoft in the past, you know, accused of lock-in kinds of things where it's like, oh, we're going to extend the standard and you'll, 
start to use this feature, not realizing that it's going to lock you into micro. They don't do anything like that. And I don't think the C++ team has really done that. But that's the old thinking. Yeah, I, I got to say, do, does anyone remember Cairo? And not Cairo, the, the 2D graphics. Cairo, uh, that was supposed to be Windows 4 or whatever. That was supposed to be a relational database uh, file system. Yeah. And there was that Cairo. Yeah. And we were, we were, I was working at a place and we had a, a, a image library thing and like, you know, a, a, our own image database and stuff. And we're like, ah, we shouldn't, we shouldn't continue this product because Microsoft's going to come out with this new database style file system in, in Cairo, Windows 4, blah, blah, blah. And then it just never happened. It was just like, oh, we had all these great ideas and they just died, died on the vine. So, <laughs> so yeah, I've been, I lived through the bad Microsoft days and, for some reason now, Microsoft seems like the, the the good company out there, at least. Well, not, let's not get political there. Either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, not, they're not perfect, but uh, it seems better than they used to be. Yeah, there's, there's this really healthy competition, as you said. You know, it, it used to be that, that Microsoft was the laggard in terms of supporting the standard, and I don't think that's the case anymore. I think all the, the compilers are, are, you know, every time there's a committee meeting, not even wait till the standards published. It's here's the committee meeting. Let's go home and implement this stuff. They literally go back to the hotel room and start coding it so that the next day they can say, "Yeah, I've implemented that feature." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is really good when you vote on the feature, like because it'll go through and you're like, "Okay, this feature is going to come to the committee at the end of the week, and we'll do the final vote on it." But but you know, we all know it's coming up. It's probably going to get get voted on. So you'll get a rush of implementers. Who can come back into the, that meeting and either say yes, we've implemented, no problem, or no, we haven't implemented. We tried to implement it and we ran into this problem, and we're like, whoa, stop, you know, because we thought this was. And of course, there's talk right now about some of the features that did get into the into twenty that weren't completely implemented before we said yes to them, and we're like, oh, that didn't work out quite as well. But you know, right, right, right. But you know, that's what that's what defect reports are for and stuff. We'll, we'll fi figure it all out. But yeah, they. Often things get implemented the night that it gets voted or the day, the night before it gets voted in just to make sure. Well, I would hope that happens a lot less on the library side, but I know that uh, that has not actually been the case. Yeah. We look at a trivial thing like, oh, let's convert this double into a string and we'll just say that we can do that somehow. <laughs> and it turns out that's not as straightforward as you thought. And it really would have made sense if somebody had said, wait till we have an implementation before we put this in the standard. It's such a no brainer. Right. Let's just take all the types and yeah. burn them to strings and and uh, and just put that in the standard. Yeah. And then you know it turns out. Yeah, because there and the thing was there was new you know people had done some work on this and it was like it was kind of bleeding edge I guess that it, you know to make it round trip mm -hmm. and all this other stuff and it's like oh yeah this is all possible and it's like yeah okay but has one of the standard library writers written it to you know oh we don't need to do that it's so straightforward it's. It's just no. It doesn't. We don't need. We don't need an implementation on this feature because it's so simple and straightforward. And let's just get it in. I am, well, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed at how well the committee does, given all the chaos of you know the way and kind of the way it ha a committee with 200 more than 200 people in it and so many features going on at the same time and all the stuff that happens. And some people sometimes you're looking at something. And we only, you know, we look at it for a few hours and make decisions and things like that. And it's like, 
it's kind of like having a lot of people with a lot of eyes means it does get seen and someone someone catches things and it works overall in the long run. Right. There's always going to be problems, but well, I I have great anxiety about this. I I will grant you that we've been I would say lucky. Uh, there's some situations that haven't worked out so well, but I think that having a larger committee means that there's less of a concept that you should read every paper. I think there was a time. Now, it's been years since everybody read every paper. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But but when people stopped reading every paper, they at least read, well, I'm going to read all the papers in library, or I'm going to read all the papers about this or something like that. And I think we're down to a situation where, well, I'm going to read all my papers, I'm going to read all my friends' papers, and I'm going to read these three papers that look interesting to me, and I'm going to sit there and vote on things in committee based on the presentation in committee. And that I don't like. And I think, as I say, I think we've been lucky. You say, you know, a lot of eyes do see it, but very often we've looked at it in committee for, as you say, a few hours, and it goes into the standard. And I just think. Yeah. And we're, we're right now trying to put in some some more pieces of the process to be like, if something gets pushed, moved forward in in uh, in one meeting, it's it's not. It, it, there's a there's another stopgap there so that everyone knows this is being marked as ready for next meeting. Yeah. yeah. So if you can't read every paper, you should at least read the papers that we're flagging as. If you don't say something, this is going to go in, right? Yeah. So we're, we're trying to because we realize that's 200 papers every meeting. You can't read them all. Yeah. And and I think you know I mean Bjarni is kind of pushed back on maybe we get too many papers. Yeah. The problem is nobody wants to be the person. You know, I used to think, well, if we get more people on the committee, we have more eyes, more all this stuff. But what happens is you just got more people who think, oh, I should write a paper. And in a sense, yeah, you should write a paper. But in another sense, we have enough papers. Um, And and the the people like Bjarna who, you know, reasonably want to see all of it and make sure it all fits together well. Yeah. Right. And that is becoming harder and harder. How do you know this all fits together well? So. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a challenge. Well, and part of it is, if you're on the committee, I mean, I know this because I listen to CBPCast and I'm on this show. And what do we do? We say, well, what proposals have you made in the committee? We never say, what proposals have you killed? Yeah. And that's probably more useful, right? I mean... I, I, I have a list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know if I've killed a complete proposal, but um, I partially killed... Uh, I, I killed span equality. Um, for better or worse. I don't know if it was a good decision or not. Um, I'm partially to blame why we don't have optional references. Um, may or may not be a good thing. Or or take the credit for, which, I mean, you know, uh, Boost, uh, the Boost optional specifically designed as, you know, said, we considered references and we rejected them because it's problematic. No, Boost optional does have references. Yeah. Oh, it does. I'm sorry. Yeah, and it, it, that was a really tough a tough thing too. It's like, um, you know, we, on one hand, we don't want to just rubber stamp everything that comes through boost, but we want stuff that has a lot of eyes on it already. Right. We're supposed to standardize things that already exist. Right. And boost is the obvious place to look. Right. right. Um, C plus 11 was hard because so much changed. So, you know, you, would you take all the boost things that were written for, Pre eleven, you know, oh, no, we're going to make changes to them, right? They have to, they, you know, what do they do for move semantics? What do they do 
in all these cases. Um, and Boost also has this thing of um, a lot of libraries, the more useful they are, the, the harder it is for them to change. Right. So if you look at right. Boost library and say, well, was that the right decision? It's like, well, Boost, Boost kept with that decision. It's like, yeah, but was it the right decision or they kept with it because they have their own backwards compatibility story, right? right, right. And so it's like you, you have to take a balance of, well, I want to look at Boost and learn from it and then maybe we make some changes, maybe we don't, right? And it's it's a tough call, tough call. I think one of the things you know Michael has brought up in the in the chat, he's saying committee members were always pushing, you don't like it, write a paper and encourage people to write papers. I think this is one of the things that Bryce has said a number of times, which is we told people, you know, papers are welcome and we need to start saying, wait a minute, enough on the papers. Um and I and I, I think there might be some truth to that. And I think we need to think about um uh you know. If you if you don't like what's in the standard, instead of saying write a paper, say well why don't you review some of the papers that are coming in and figure out what's wrong with them and what, you know what direction they need to go, because I don't think anybody um, anybody who's writing a paper is going to resent it if you take the time to review their paper. They're gonna they're gonna be appreciative even if you say critical things, even if you say hey did you think about this and maybe you should call it this and here's an idea for this or do it this way right they're still going to appreciate it because you know the best way to make that proposal write a paper. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, you know, I was thinking like maybe the bar is that you have to write three uh, good review papers before you can write your own proposal. I mean, all you're allowed to do is review other papers for, you know, it's the initial bar. Uh, okay. And then once you've paid, because it used to be uh, you have to you have to give a kidney if you want to make a, a library change. Yeah. Or a language change. Yeah. Library yeah. changes are slightly less costly, but. If you want to add a keyword. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it should be. It should be now. It's uh, yeah. You have to do so much. A couple of years of uh, reviewing and killing other, or you know, improving other papers before you write one or something like that. Not really the right thing either. But you know. Yeah. Somehow, somehow encouraging. We've we've got lots. We've got too much work to do. It's true. There's a discussion between Robert and Renee saying, Renee says the committee needs to stop thinking they provide the entire C++ ecosystem. And oh uh, yeah. I mean, that, our, our biggest issue is not having a package manager that, you know, that that would not only help decide what should go in the standard um, or, like, have things that never go in the standard because, oh, you can just get the package, um, but also, like Boost, things would bubble up. Right? Things would bubble up. Everyone does two-string this way now. But, okay, well, let's let's standardize that one because it's de facto standard. So we don't have a lot of places to to find de facto standard. Um, we've got Boost and we've got like GitHub stars or something. It's it's not enough to. You know, uh, format is a good example of, uh, hopefully a good example. We'll see how it turns out um, of a library that just seems like if this was good, lots of people are using it. Well, let's standardize it, right? Yeah. Because and it feels like one of those things that. Yeah, being able to print out stuff well is something that should be in the standard, and both printf and and ha and having three options for how to do it is is ideal. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Insert XKCD. You know, I should I should know the number of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know that um, that there's a major library added to twenty that. There was a lot of effort put into getting this ready to go into the library. 
and it didn't you know there wasn't time to send it through boost because it was based on concepts which is a new feature in the language so there isn't time and i'm thinking that should have been the red flag right there if you're saying it's based on a new language feature and we got to get it in the library i'm thinking no 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 based on a new language feature means we should spend some time to make sure it's right i'm you know i'm optimistic i hope it's great you know lots of cool functionality and all this kind of stuff but it was rushed and you know yeah there's little or no user experience with it yeah it's the uh you know that's we have a tradition of uh you know the first version of stl was you know was you know miraculous gift from Stepanov, um, and it was rushed into the standard as well. And so uh, now we have a rewrite into a certain extent of the STL, and um, we're just going to hope it's hope it works as well. Yeah, and we've rushed and we've rushed that. So it's it's uh, yeah, and it's not like it's a high bar to uh, you know match Stepanov or anything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Although just an iterative improvement. You know, if you if you watch his lectures, which because I worked at A nine, I got to do that. But they're on they're on YouTube. People want to watch it. He's the first person to point out. Oh no, we specified Max wrong. Uh, we you know we got this wrong. We we got this wrong. Um, the name of Vector. He claims Vector was a mistake. Yeah. He doesn't really have a better name, but he said you know I was told this kind of container should be called Vector, and um, and clearly you know we stepped on our own ability now to have. Vectors and matrices, and have vector be the right thing. Yeah, especially especially when he's such a mathematician. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he probably was uncomfortable with it from the beginning. Yeah, you know, and it's like, how did you name this vector? The other one is I like to bring up is uh, standard copy. Is uh, you pass the source and then the destination is the order of the arguments. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and Stepanov says that was also wrong. Yeah. It should have been the same as mem copy and stir copy, yeah. because uh, C and C plus plus like uh, assignment works right to left, right? You assign that way. But he said he said when he originally did it, he was thinking mathematics. You say f uh, x to y, you know, like the arrow for um, goes from domain to range, whatever range domain. You know, math math symbolism. So he, he did it. He did it right uh, left to right. He should have done it right to left. And people are like, "Well, where did he say that?" And I'm like. Personal correspondence. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, he was at he was at Adobe and I was at Adobe, so I didn't get to talk to him too often. But uh, I remember I asked him about that one. He's like, "Yep, yeah, that was one of his mistakes." So I always tell people, like, Stepanov made three mistakes, and I try to list them. And I know that there's four, and that's why I always say there's three because you know, off by one jokes. Um, and I can never remember four, but I think that's it's pretty good if he's got four mistakes and, and it's like the one about min and max is so minor and order they're all minor they're all tiny tiny mistakes sure i mean we would have yeah he also says partition is wrong the uh we want to when we sort we sort ascending so partition should have all the falses before all the trues right. and and that's the reason it should be that way and it's because partition is essentially a sub-step of, of doing sorting, and so it should work the way sorting should do, and so, you know. But you can see why someone specifying partition without having any sense of context is going to say, well, yeah, we'll do all the ones true before all the ones false. Um, and uh, 
And you know, just you know, in calling SDL uh, rushed, it was rushed into the standard, but like Alex had worked on it in multiple languages. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. it had been we had spent years and years honing, you know, this whole set of concepts and and library. So. So one thing I'll say though, I was surprised with this. So before eleven shipped, um, when uh, when the consensus for concepts had broken down after it went in and it was voted out, um, Alex hosted at A9 in Palo Alto, hosted a group of people from Indiana and also from uh, College Station to come and talk about concepts because there were these two competing proposals and they couldn't see eye to eye. And so Alex was going to make uh, you know, Alex was not a big fan of the committee or the committee process or any of that stuff. Um, but this is what he was trying to do is, you know, and so Bjarni was there and players on the on the concept side. And because I worked at A9, I mean, I had no, you know, I, I should not have been in the room by any other reason except I was in the room for that. You know, we did that for an entire week and we worked on that. Yeah. But one of the things that we worked on or what we worked on mostly was specifying the concepts that were behind the STL. And frankly, I was shocked that that hadn't already been done. I was kind of surprised by that. You know, if you read uh, Matt Austern's book and, you know, the books, even Alex's books on how to do generic programming, you create a concept and, you know, you, you know, and yet they really hadn't defined in great detail what these concepts were. They just kind of had, well, forward iterators of concept. Well, what exactly does that mean? I was surprised myself that, you know, it was, I don't remember what year this was. It was not, 11 hadn't shipped yet, but but it was late in that cycle. Yeah. And we were sitting down and saying, okay, exactly what does it mean, you know, to be a forward iterator and an output iterator and these kinds of things and really formally defining them. And frankly, you know, I never said that then because I think it would have been kind of embarrassing, but it's like, we're just now getting around to defining these concepts? Really? Yeah, and and it's it, I think the part part of that was like everyone everyone had vague concepts in their head of what a forward iterator is and stuff like that, um, and then if you well, try to define exactly what it is in the lang in the standard, you realize that a lot of things that are claimed to be a certain thing aren't right. Same with if you look at all the container requirements, yeah, and yeah. you go which of the containers actually satisfy satisfy all these requirements, you're like yeah maybe none of them. Yeah. But they all almost do or like right, 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 right. in some way they do. And well, it's like, it's kind of like the, the, it's the engineering trade-off, right? At some point we just went practical. When we, when we specify in the, in the standard, these are the, you know, these are what a container does. I think uh, even STD array doesn't satisfy them because you can't delete or add things to the array. So it's not really a container. And yet it's like, well, what is it if it's not a container? I mean, you know, um, but yeah, I, Oh, I lost the I lost the thought of the other the other point I was going to make about um, just the concepts in general. Oh no, what I was going to say is the concepts uh, regular. Yeah, you know if you look at uh, if you look at what Alex did was he said there's something called a semi regular, a semi regular type. A, a semi regular type is a type that is in all ways regular except it doesn't support less than comparisons, right? right? And, uh, but I don't think that's in the standard. I think the standard just has the concept of a regular type. Um, and so if we can't even decide what, <laughs> what's, what's the definition of a regular type, we can't all get on the same page about that. Um, that's, 
Yeah, well, basically what the standard did was they threw out less than. Regular doesn't have less than in it. Right. Whereas Stepanoff's right. regular does have less than in it. Right. Which I, I kind of agree with that one, too. I, I My example is, you know, I can, you know, I'm sitting on a chair. Yeah. Right. I've got my chair, my chair class that has number of legs on the chair and the color of the chair and all these properties of, of what a chair is. Less than one chair being less than the other chair doesn't make a lot of sense. Right, right, right. I think, um, I think part of it is that, you know, Stefanov was really focusing on the algorithms. Yeah. And you really want to be able to compare if you're doing sorting or, I mean, there's just so many things you can do. Yep. And um, I think, I mean, one of the things in retrospect, if we were to go back, we would say the default sort shouldn't be less the default sort should be whatever the default sort is and then it should be called default sort or something yeah yeah. and then you can define that to be less for types that want that but that way you can do for like complex numbers you can have a you can have a natural ordering for it without saying well that's actually less than less than doesn't make sense for complex numbers but it certainly makes sense to sort everything based on the real component followed by the imaginary component and at least you have a predictable Exactly. Sort order. And but if all your Tony chairs are around a Tony table, how are you going to compare them? <laughs> <laughs> well, the um, dining philosopher problem. First thing comes to my head. Ah, the well, but the, but the the uh, the author of the class can decide. Well, when you're comparing chairs, you do it by weight, or you do it by cost, or you do it by whatever. Well, it's, it's, I mean, you, you offer up five different sort criterias and use the one you want for the, for the occasion. And, and, you know, if you put on your math brain, that means it's like you take your elements and your operations and then you form a group or a whatever other, you know, magma, something, all these math terms of like, is this a quotient ring? Is this a whatever? Uh, But that is elements combined with operations and, and to a certain extent, we, you know, you don't always want to combine all the operations into your type. Your type can be sorted five different ways. One might be more natural than the rest. You want to make it part of your type, or none of them are natural, so they're not part of your type. They're just three functions, right? And that's that same idea of, you know, comes full circle to, like, keep your code separate. Like, how many functions should be on standard string? It has over 200, 200 member functions, and there's no limit to... The number of function you could add, you know, things you can do to a string. That's a long list. <laughs> so at some point you got to draw the line and say, well, these ones are really kind of useful. It's not even just you can draw the line at at these are the minimum set with 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 these three functions. I can do everything I want to do with a string. It's like, well, that's probably too minimal. At least make it ergonomic in some way. But we don't need two hundred functions. And and you know that's that's the art half of of defining a class. What what is what is the essence of this class and what should be should be separated from the class. Um, I just did that recently in, in our own code base. We have an image class, which I've been rehabilitating over the last year or two, and it's become a move-only class and some nice things. They had a bunch of functions in them, and I've taken almost every function out because it's like it's an image. It holds pixels, right? That That's what it does. It, it can, you know, if you want to convert it, well, you just walk over the pixels and convert, and, and here's a bunch of image utilities that work on images, but they don't all have to be. And the one that always gets me is when people put the like load and save, like save this image to file. That is not a member function. 
because when that becomes a member function, that means you've just pulled in lib ping and lib JPEG and <laughs> the whole world. And it's like, I, I don't, an image class shouldn't even know there's a file system. It just, it holds pixels. That's its job, right? Right, right, right. right. Keep your stuff separate. Although you could add a, you, you could add a function to it called export, which gives you the, what you need to do the, yes, to do the image part of do a save or an import, which is the image part of the load. And then, um, you know, yeah, factor it out somehow. Yeah. Yeah. If you need it, it's also possible that you don't need it because you already have tools, uh, to iterate across your images, pixels anyway, which is nice. Yep. Exactly. So were there other things we wanted to talk about like postmodern C++ or is it too late to get started on that topic? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're too late in the show or too late in Tony's career. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I had one thing, one thing the other, I've given that talk, uh, it, it's the almost, almost the only talk I've given more than once. It's definitely the only talk I've given three times. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's step back because people don't necessarily know what talk you're talking about. So, uh, sure. I did a talk called Postmodern C++. Um, which I did at CppCon, or sorry, first thing did at C++ Now, and it was mostly tailored around tweets and nonsense, and somehow it's a, you know, a critique of, of how to code. Um, and then, because I don't like doing talks more than once, uh, people really liked it and said, you should do it again at CppCon. And they're like, okay, I'll do it again. And, you know, I, now I've got from May to September to work on the talk because I don't like doing the same talk twice. And somewhere around there, I decided that I should rhyme the talk like Dr. Seuss. It was either Dr. Seuss or Shakespeare. And I was actually going to do both. And I thought, well, that would be really crazy. Um, so I did Dr. Seuss. It turns out to be easier. Um, and a lot of people liked the talk and a lot of people were very turned off because I'm rhyming everything. And it's really hard to understand when you rhyme everything. Um, and I since did it one more time uh, at, on on request from from Hannah uh, at at her meetup in uh, Prague. Um, and all three of these, by the way, are, are on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Different sources. And uh, you have to watch all three. You can't just watch one. You have to watch them all. It's it's a yeah. That's right. You have to watch one. Uh, because it's, I change it every. Put them all in the show notes. Change it every time. But afterwards, um, uh, uh, Timur uh, was. Asked, talking to me, he said, he's like, and, and, you know, I don't want, this is not an insult to say he doesn't understand humor. He will walk up to you and say, I don't understand humor, right? <laughs> I, I know that Phil has had this conversation with him. He doesn't understand all the puns and everything. But he said, my talk in particular, he's like, I don't get any of the humor. Right? So then I, we spent a lot of time explaining humor in a non-humorous way, right? And, and then I started realizing that the reason I use humor in my talk there is because, and someone just brought it up in Twitter just like two days ago saying how it's like a unexpected uh, something, something. And I'm like, yes, that's the point of the talk is, he said, unexpected ways of thinking. And I'm like, yeah, that's how I, that's how you have to code. Like when, when someone's telling a joke, you know, something unexpected is going to happen and you tend to have your mind a little wide, open a little wider because you know, it's not going to be the obvious answer. It's right. going to be something a little outside the box and then you're like and you're waiting you wait and then oh and then it happens and and you get the you know you weren't really afraid because it was just a joke and then you get the the that, that satisfaction of okay i see how it all comes together 
Um, that's how you should break code. And that's how you should read code, right? You look at code and you're like, what's going on in this code? And you got to keep a more broad, open mind. And I find when people code, especially when you like, I need to fix this bug, you've got a really closed mind, right? You're just like, I need to fix this bug. I'm going to walk the code as if this is the only path the code ever takes. Right, right. And I'm going to put the if statement where I need to put the if statement. Okay, the bug is fixed. And it's like, right. that's not how you write code. You have right. to you know, right. think more broadly. And my whole thought, I didn't realize this till the, after, after the third time I gave the talk, that you know, one of the points is this state of confusion that you should be in while you watch my talk is the state of confusion you should be in when you, while you code. Um, and it, and it's you got to get comfortable with that state of I don't know everything, and and uh, keep keep your mind open kind of thing. So that's that's the insight to, for the day on that. Next next time I give the talk, it'll be a different insight, hopefully, because every time I do it, I I don't know what I'm I don't know what my talk's about yet. So every time I do it, I I, I gain new insights as to it is one of my well, it is a very unusual talk. So. You know, if you don't like unusual, I do talks on lock-free programming. They're very, you know, here's here's how to do lock-free programming. But those are more dangerous. No, 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 no. Your talks are on how not to do lock-free programming. Yeah. Yes, that is true. <laughs> they're they're much more dangerous. You shouldn't do it. <laughs> really, we should all just give up coding in general. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, the only bug-free code is obsolete code. Once, no, once there are no users, there are no bugs. You know, this is I have this other thing of, like, good code, and I, it's so strange. I spend so much time thinking about, well, well, what is good code really, right? And you get all these things of, uh, you know, it's, it's maintainable and readable and all these, all these things. I'm like... And modular. Yeah, yeah. If, if that might be the only thing, right? <laughs> all those things all have... Those are only important if you're going to change the code, right? Because we make an assumption that it's, but if, it, if you know, right. every now and then you write right. throwaway code. Right. And, right. and it also says that the first criteria of code is that it has to work. Right. Right. So yeah. code must, must work. And then you must be able to change it. And which really is um, good code causes other good code to be written. Right? It, it's a self-fulfilling thing. And I mean, bad code causes other bad code to be written right. in the same way that yeah, yeah. this code is hard. I'm going to make mistakes trying to use it. Um, but code that begets good code and code that and, and that happens to also work. That's that's the only two. Well, what, one of the things that Marshall Clow has has asked me a number of times is, what would you rather have? Would you rather have code that's very clear that has a bug in it or code that you can't understand at all, but isn't doesn't have any obvious bugs and the idea is you know if the code is clear i can identify the bug and fix it and then i've got something but of course yeah. the assumption is from the beginning that it's going to be changed because it's it's absolutely true no it's, it's completely flawless there's no bugs in there i don't understand how it works i can't change it but as long as it's flawless that's fine the thing is if it were really flawless you know if there was no intent to change it ever it wouldn't be code it would be binary right um you you have code because you think at some point you'd like to be able to change it, and um, that's what good code is code that code that supports modification. Well, you may have the code so you can recompile it for a different architecture. But when you do that, you're going to you're going to find out that you've now got a bug in it. 
that it worked fine in the old architecture <laughs> because it relied on undefined behavior, but it was okay on that architecture. But now, <laughs> but I think this very idea is is very theoretical because all code will change, yeah. uh, unless it's no longer useful. Well, you know, you know what the scary part is? Is that I've got code that's thirty years old that hasn't changed at, at previous companies I worked at, and I'm like, you guys are still using that code? Like, what? How? How is? How is that? How does that still just work? Yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. and I'm like, I guess I wrote good code at one point because it's just, I mean, it's not good code in the sense that people maintained it and changed it. It's good code because it just kept working. Right. It did. Right. It did the thing it needed to do, um, and and things around it changed enough, and it was modular enough. Something I realized early that I I I naturally wrote modular code. I don't know why. I didn't. It's not something I learned. It's just I think it's my math background, um, and and that code. The, the overall structure of the code lasted for 30 years um, and things did change and certain parts of it just never needed to change and yeah. because it works. And I, I still think of like, I, like, are you sure? Cause I was, I was a junior developer then and I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, yeah. It's, no, it's fine. It still works. All right. Yeah. I, um, at the beginning of the lockdown was coincided with a project that I had done, not in C++, not even a professional project. It was a side, it was, a, it's actually the website for my book club, which uh, due to some issues, I, I no longer actually attend. I'm kind of a virtual member, if you will. So I'm not really there, but I maintain the website and the website has essentially gone without needing anything at all uh, for literally years. I mean, probably, probably a decade. It's still got blinking text. And... Um, but what happened is uh, right before the, the, the lockdown, um, I got a, a message from the, the secretary of the club. He says, hey, the, the website's not working. I started looking into it. And it turns out that, you know, Python 2 support has just gone away. So the ISP forced everything into Python 3. And, of course, this was written a long time ago. And it just doesn't work under 3. It just crashes in every way you can imagine. Actually, it doesn't crash in every way. It crashes in one way. Um, and I spent about two weeks. And it, it turned out, because it's a book club, when you type in an ISBN number or paste in an ISBN number, it goes to Amazon and it pulls all this information about the book, it pulls the image out, all this kind of cool stuff. It's really great. But Amazon has just retired the API that was using. They now want you to use a new. So basically I had, I spent about two weeks uh, pure technical debt on this code that was fine until it wasn't anymore. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's no code that... It, uh... Eventually, it'll have to be changed, right? <laughs> have you seen the, there's a video on YouTube um, where the, the title, the, the video is, is um, the title of this video is how many views it has, right? The title of the video changes. Oh, cool. Constantly, not, not constantly, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Continually um, based on the number of views it has. And then the whole video is the guy explaining how you do this, right? And I mean, the, the crux of it is, well, he's got a server somewhere that keeps an eye on it. Yeah. And just yeah. constantly checks the number and updates the, the but he's using APIs. Sure, and, sure. and he talked about all the other APIs he's done and, and, and the whole idea of web 2.0, where there's going to be all APIs everywhere. And your, your thing could talk to the other thing and it all just work. And he's like, yes. it doesn't stay working. And he said, one day this video will stop updating its title. Yeah. Because YouTube will change the API, and I might be too lazy to go and fix it. So it's like, but it's kind of a weird video because yeah, you go there and it's got 
the title is how many views it has. First see it, it's like, how does this work? I get, I gave it away now. Well, I'm actually in a situation. You ever heard of uh, it's called dry scrape? Dry. Um, so I, uh, for some of the utilities that I use for the conference, I actually do screen scraping on easy chair screen scraping. If people don't know is basically you download the HTML and you search through the HTML, you know, the way a human would see it. The problem is websites that are JavaScript based, you can't download the HTML. You have to download the post JavaScript HTML and beautiful soup, which is this cool library for Python just doesn't do that. You have to use dry scrape. I think it's called dry scrape. Um, and this recently broke on the Mac and I'm not sure I've been Googling and I can't find anybody who seems to be able to install it. It doesn't install unless you make this one little cheat tweak. And if you make that one little cheek, it will install, but then it won't run. Uh, and uh, I don't know what to do about it. And, but it's exactly what you've said. It, the, the change they made. Uh, the, well, the problem is they made a change on the Mac OS. It somehow uses something different. I don't know what the deal is, but it's just broken. And I'm really frustrated because uh, this is functionality that I kind of relied on and I don't really painful don't know how to do it um yeah it's not like it's not like you're screen scraping to get like nhl score so you can do your own website it's like right. no you're screen scraping right the, the thing that you're supposed to be using right like the yeah 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 yeah. it's because it's because the website doesn't have a decent api uh, most of the web services we use do have some apis so we do but this one Anyway, we're well, well over time. I think I think the easy and easy chair is just out of spite. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> I think we're well over time. Yes, we are over time. Um, and uh, I appreciate people who have uh, stuck with us the whole time. Anyway, we should um, we should wish everyone safe coding. So uh, if you can join me on that, I want to wish all of our audience safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding. That was fun. We could have done that for another two hours, I think. Yeah, yeah, we nearly did.